Welcome to What's My Thesis. I'm Javier Proenza, and today my guest is Brianna Mims. Uh, Brianna, I saw you speak at uh, uh, Long Beach uh, Museum of Art. Uh, you were doing something with Crenshaw Dairy Mart, right? Uh, That's correct. And, and you were doing some stuff about uh, a jail bed drops you, you were talking a little bit about, which I'm definitely very interested in. But I want to get in a, a little bit into your background. Uh, so you were telling me when we talked afterwards that you were that you're from, that you claim both Georgia and Florida, which as a Florida man. I do, man... I claim both hard. Um, <laughs> I'm from the South. I love the South. Um, yeah, and I grew up in Georgia. I moved to Florida when I was around nine years old, but most of my family is in the Georgia area. So I feel like both places uh, really shaped me. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and I came to Los Angeles in 2015 to go to USC. Um, I was in art school since I was... Um, in fourth grade. So I was Wait, in art what, school. What, what's that school? The fourth grade school? It was it's like a magnet. Brentwood, yeah, Brentwood Elementary. Then I went to La Villa Middle School of the Arts and then Douglas Anderson School of the Arts for high school. And then I went to USC to their dance school. Um, and that's when I moved to Los Angeles. So I've been here ever since 2015. I graduated in 2019. Um, during my time at USC, while I was in the dance school, I think it was around my junior year. I also picked up another major, NGOs and social change. And so that's when my work started to kind of um, mesh together. And I felt like I really found a flow and something that felt really nourishing, um, not only to myself, but my community at large. And so I think, you know, my work has been kind of going in that direction ever since that that point. Interesting. So what what is your main like uh, identification as an artist? You already answered my question as to when did you start? So fourth grade is pretty early. <laughs> it's pretty uh, early. <laughs> and then your 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 main your cities in uh, in in Florida and your city in uh, G Georgia, which ones are they? You said Jacksonville was Florida. That's uh, where in Augusta, you... Georgia. Augusta, Augusta is like a small a small town. Um yeah, right by South Carolina. Um so I just say I'm an artist now. Um, I'm always a dancer, uh, but a lot of times, you know, my work, you know, sometimes my work doesn't include dance or it feels more like performance art or like I said, dance is not even in the picture. Um, but in I always- fourth... Sorry, sorry to cut you off. You were on a flow. Uh, the, in fourth grade, was it was it more, was it also performing uh, uh, or was that oh, more visual? Oh, it's always been dance. Since it's fourth always grade, been dance. always okay. been training as a dancer. My goal was to be in a dance company. And when I began to kind of mesh my work into what it is now, I realized um, that's not what was nourishing to me. Um, I didn't like the life of being in rehearsal all day and then performing. I didn't feel connected to community. Uh, I felt very disconnected and I wanted to create my own things. And it's like, what am I creating about if I'm not experiencing life? Um, because everything was so consumed with being in rehearsal. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's how I got to this point. That's how you got to this point. And then when did you start out to branch out from uh, dance then? If dance is the main focus, because now you're you now you're are identifying as more of an artist rather than a dancer specifically, which yeah. makes sense, especially having seen the jailbed drop uh, a series of work that you've, that you've done. Uh, when did it become, when did it uh, branch out? And then also when did activism become, it was it at USC where, where activism kind of became, cause there's like a, 
one of the reasons I'm excited to have you on the show is because you actually do activism. There's a lot of people that like front, like they're, you know, part of something. I know I've, I know people that actually take part in mutual aid efforts and stuff like that. There's the J are you familiar with J town action solidarity? And there's, no. there's, 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 I've interviewed people on the show that are active in that, but I think a lot of people also just take on the mantle <laughs> of an activist without actually, you know, they go to protests and whatnot, but it seems like you're actually pretty engaged um, in that. And you mentioned NGOs as well in your, in, in, in your thing. So um, to answer your, your first question, I asked like six apologies. I know <laughs> <laughs> um, during my time at USC, <clears throat> I somehow, I don't even remember how, I think I saw something on Facebook. There was a call out, Justice LA was forming a creative action team and they were having their first meeting. I went, I joined this team and uh, I think it was 2017. Um, and ever since then, I mean, that's when I did the first jail bed drop in 2017. And, you know, the day that you met me, that I was doing the jail bed drop. I had no idea that I was going to be doing jail bed drops from 2017 till today as a dance mm. major at USC. Um, but it has given so much. Um, it's been a really beautiful experience. And I've just, I've just been at it, you know, it opens up so much in myself. I learned so much about myself. Um, yeah, the work is really, it's really special. So then when did uh, when did you start doing the Jill bed draw? So it's 2017. Like what can you describe that project for people that that aren't familiar? Because it's it's a pretty interesting. So if I can quick paraphrase of what I picked up is that essentially you're using jail beds as a stage for performances, for installation. Right. Like literally beds from a, a from or, or, you know, the same structure as would be in a typical jail. Uh, and then you're putting them in, in uh, locations, public, public, yeah, spaces. public spaces. So the actual first ones were literally just dropping the beds. So we would go into these board of supervisor meetings and they would use language like, uh, we're going to create a 1500 bed facility. And the people that were in the beds were so removed from the decision-making process. And so uh, I think there were like a hundred jail beds made for the project. And the, the first one was in September of 2017, right in front of the Board of Supervisors office, all 100 beds were just dropped there. That was the, the drop. Then in December of 2017, right before Christmas, uh, there were so many, I think there were about 60 artists um, in a different city which within Los Angeles County. And we activated uh different spaces public spaces with the bed at the same time so people did all sorts of things some were more installations some were performance uh all different types of installations exploring um incarceration in los angeles through a different lens the goal was to stop this 3.5 billion dollar jail plan so one telling people about it but people also sharing their own story um, and trying to get people to sign this petition to to stop this $3.5 billion jail plan. And so uh, we kept doing these, these jail bed drops as a creative action team in different capacities through Justice LA. So after that, December 1, uh, we kind of, smaller groups of us, you know, did some in, in different places. And then I think it was in 2019, uh, Justice LA cut off their creative action team. 
And it was around that time where I was also planning for my senior projects. I wanted to expand upon the idea. I wanted to turn the, um, the gel bed drop and I wanted to add in uh, installation elements. So I wanted to be this performance and an interactive installation. Um, and I think it was around this time where I really um, got into this this idea of art being something that's interactive and not something you you just you know observe or see and you can feel removed for the process from the process, especially when we're having conversations about things of this sort. Um, it, for me, it's very important that um, people aren't just observers and able to disconnect themselves. Um, mm -hmm. So the interactive element was something that was really important to me. But in 2019, the creative action team shut down and I was like, how am I going to get this done? And so I had to build a team at um, USC and we executed the project um, at the California African-American Museum. And uh, yeah, we've been building on that version ever since. You know, we had what's, two what's, large... what's the new mm -hmm. team called? It's just the bail jail bed drop team or what do you do you have a new organization to or it's just a collaborative? Effort? No, we've just been we just been putting stuff together. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the same thing. You know, we did. Uh, I don't know if you know, but right before the panel you attended, we did a jail bed drop. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So is that, the you know, we've been working together doing this for a while and it's the same sort of people like um the person that was on the panel with me yvette they were also a part of justice la um they uh -huh. weren't a part of the creative action team but you know on the policy side so it's it's the same community um of people um that this work is sort of happening around and woven within um but in terms of the team that's actually putting the joe bed drop together it's the same people i gathered at usc i remember i put out a call and whoever responded to it, I was like, I definitely need some architecture students because I need help building things. Yeah. Um, and it ended up working out. And um, it's been a really beautiful process ever since. The community of people that the project, um, the community building aspect has been my favorite part. I've seen people whose wives and family members who you know left things on the bed um, at some of our earlier drops who are home now, who's had children, um, so it's just been, it's just been really, it's, it's been a really beautiful process. The version, you know, and every version is different. So what we did most recently is very different from what we were doing in 2019. Um, so it's, it continues to expand and to evolve and to, you know, bring more people into the process. Uh, USC is an interesting, um, thing to me. Cause I remember they used to give stipends to people, back in the day, uh, like for, for the art school and whatnot. And then there was there was a, a, a generation that kind of boycotted graduation or, or like there was a class, there was a scandal there. But like, I think the perception is that it's a really prestigious school. But actually, I'm talking to you now, I'm realizing that the uh, the person that was into the, uh, the Anna Iwataki, who has done the show before, she was a member of that uh, J-Town Action Solidarity, which is like a mutual fund, uh, mutual aid effort, not mutual fund. That's <laughs> that's uh, Wall Street, uh, mutual <laughs> aid effort. And and I, I wonder, it sounds like, from my experience, even though it's like a prestigious school and it maybe is considered like one of the uh, more difficult schools to get into, there seems to be a, a, a spirit of activism that comes out of there that I've noticed from like more so than maybe like a UCLA and all of that. Do, is the program deliberate, the art program deliberate in that? No, 
So, I mean, I wasn't in the art program. I was in the school of dance. Um, in the school of dance. Okay. Um, so the first thing I would say is I definitely wouldn't accredit anything to the university. Okay. Um, I just wanted to check. <laughs> there, <laughs> I have found professors there. I have one professor who is like my uncle slash my friend now. And he has been to every single jail bed drop since 2017. Okay. Um, and he has supported the work in many ways. Um, but it has nothing to do with the university. It's because of who he is as a person. Um, mm -hmm. It was very difficult. You know, I was asking the university for funding to help with the materials um, to put things together. And it was, you know, very difficult to get that done. I got, you know, rejected from the grant that I uh, submitted to the university. They ended up giving me $900 because I think the the dean of my school at the time, um, I don't know if she had a relationship with Vis Visions and Voices that I you know, applied to the grant to, but it wasn't because I got the grant. They just was like, okay, tired of, you know, people coming to me about this. Let me just give her $900. And that covered, you know, the materials we needed to build things, but it wasn't, yeah, it's definitely not the university. Um, can you, can you describe a little bit the beds? Cause I think that people, you know, when, like when you just think of a jail bed, it's hard to imagine, but it, it is the way that you guys present them. It's, they are kind of self-contained, right? A little bit. There's like, um, their their bunks are, are are the ones that you guys yeah. are dropping. Yeah, yeah. yeah so they're, it, they're bunks it, it kinda... and they're extremely heavy. And I think okay. that's another aspect to it. Uh, we use the real materials. Um, so for people to to move these out of the street when we drop them in public spaces, you know, it one person isn't going to be able to pick up the bed and move it. Uh -huh. um, and for me, that's another interactive um, element to it. And I think there's so many layers to people having to gather and carry the weight of this bed, which is something that we like to uh, put behind closed doors and, you know, not talk about in public and, you know, forcing people to interact with it. Um, especially the people who have a hand in the decision-making, like when we dropped it in front of the board of supervisors office. And have um, you guys gotten any good press off of this? Has has anybody like does because I know that the media can tend to ignore things like this, right? Like we're watching right now as they ignore pretty heavy things that are happening in the world all over. And I'm not even talking about the violent stuff. I think that there's like protests going on in France right now that like are not getting any coverage because they don't necessarily want it to spread. But is it, it do, do you have a, a difficult time getting anyone to cover these things? Because I mean, if you're doing a, a public installation or an installation in a public space, and it sounds like part of the point is to disrupt, uh, you know, the um, it's, it's, uh, it's a protest action, essentially, right? It, it, it does that ever get covered? Have you guys gotten any press out of these events? Uh, in, so I think in when it was yeah, I think when it was a part of Justice LA, uh, which is a organization, they were able to get press. What I've been doing since um, 2019, I have barely gotten any press. Uh -huh. um, I do, you know, for Jail Bed Drop, that hasn't been something that has been a big focus for me is to get press around it. For me, it had mm. it doesn't seem like the goal. Um, no, I just meant if people were covering uh, it. I, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? No, but I understand yeah. what you're saying. I do think um, another project, you know, Uncle Ronnie's Room, I think I mentioned it at the panel you heard me speak on. That is an event, you know, that I've been trying to get um, 
coverage for and it's mm. it's also been hard so people aren't just in general people aren't interested in covering the work unless there is like a large organization or a person with a big name that you mm. know is attached to it or comes to the media and has that sort of pooling connection already what uh, can you describe the other the other work before we get into your broader topic cuz i have i have a lot of questions about uh, cop city but i definitely want people to have a sense of what your actual art making practice is uh is about uh the the, the other project you said uh, i forgot what it's called my apologies it's called uncle ronnie's room so uh this is a basically like an art driven campaign um to get my uncle's case reopened he has um two life sentences plus 65 years uh, for something he didn't do. Okay. Um, so we were at Chico's Justice Center in Los Angeles and they had there, it was an old juvenile detention center. So they have some old, an area with old cells there and we turned one cell into my uncle's childhood bedroom, the cell across into an altar space. Um, there was also a billboard aspect of the project and um, we also had a docu-series. Um, so the first episode was released at the, the closing of this installation. Mm. Um, and the first episode covered my family all flying into Georgia and going through the storage unit for the first time, the pod, it's called the pod, um, and going through his stuff for the first time in 23 years, reflecting on how his incarceration has impacted them. He's been so, incarcerated for 23 years? That's correct. How old were uh, you when, when, when he was uh, arrested and convicted? I believe I was one years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, not one. But since you were... It's been, it must be twenty more than 23 years at this point. I think at the time when we did the project, because I'm 26 now. Okay. Um, so okay. it might be like uh, 24, 25 years now. Okay. Unless I was two, one or two years old. Um. What was I saying? Um, so people came into the space, they watched the film. Um, and then I performed in between both of the cells to some of my great grandparents' favorite songs. They were um, activists during the civil rights era and in Savannah, Georgia. Um, and we actually built some of the altar space from the trees in my great grandparents' front yard. The mm -hmm. Spanish moss trees in Georgia are really beautiful and I always take some of the moss with me. And so that was sort of the starting point of our building process. Um, we were really looking for ancestral guidance um, with this element of the work. So it was disruptive. It was a prayer. It's all of these things all at the same time. Um, and we had a, a choir inside of the cell singing the songs um, while I was dancing. Um, and we've been trying to move this project to Georgia. However, it's been extremely difficult um, because the city of Augusta is extremely corrupt. Um, is that where he's incarcerated in Augusta? He's incarcerated in Calhoun State Prison in Morgan, Georgia. Okay. So he's not in Augusta, but the case and everything is 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 Augusta in South Carolina. Okay. Um. And this was a case they were trying to solve for two years. And so they pinned this on him and everybody knows um, that they were railroaded. However, no one is willing um, to, to do anything about it. 
um, yeah. or yeah. reasons like their job or, you know, a fear, like they'll pay people off to move. They'll threaten people to shut down their whole practice. You know, I spoke with the lawyer of the star witness. Um, mm. The star witness recanted his statement five weeks into the trial. And um, so when I called him, which is 20 plus years later, he's like, yeah, I remember your uncle. I will never forget this case. This is crazy. He's like, I'm down to help you. Um, a part of the Uncle Ronnie's Room event, uh, we also had people um, sign these letters that we sent in to the district attorney. So the district attorney's office were getting tons of phone calls, emails, and letters while this project was happening because that organizing was a part of the, the project. Um, yeah. And so by the time I, I went to the continent for about two months, I went to, to Senegal and Ghana for two months, came back to Georgia. And um, they had already, he was, I couldn't get a hold of him. I don't know what happened. You know, my grandma was like the last time they threatened when he tried to bring forward the recanted statement from the witness, they threatened to shut down his practice then. So they might have done the same now, but now I can't get a hold of him at all. Mm. Um, and this is just a sort of reoccurring thing. We'll hire private investigators. We'll hire lawyers. They will disappear. Oh, um, wow. And so it's been extremely difficult to even get a place to allow me to do the project in um, Augusta. As mm. soon as I say the name or mention the case, it people get extremely afraid and uncomfortable. Is, um, it, a, is it a well-known case in the community? Uh, yeah, so it's the biggest case in the city. Like it was on billboards. It was on America's Most Wanted. Um, it was on all of these things. And then they um, couldn't solve it for two years and they just and figured so, yeah, the pressure so got to them. Were, yeah, that's how people rose in rank in, in their career. Oh, so yeah. the people who have, you know, these people have risen. The, the district attorney that, that handled this case, he's now a judge. Um, yeah. And so then there was a lot of, you know, the current the current people that are lawyers and district attorneys that were under him. You know, they were under him. So they still have a loyalty to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, so, I don't. I, I don't mean any disrespect in, in any way, but just to protect both of us, I'll just. I, can I say allegedly? I just don't know what the legalities of having th this conversation are. Uh, is is that okay for me to say, or is that upsetting? Yeah. No. Okay. No, I just. I, I just want to cover us so that we don't get in trouble. No, having it's not. This it, I've talked about it in other public spaces. It's not a. Okay. It's not All right. Cool. 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 <laughs> I just don't necessarily want cops coming after us, uh, just because of this conversation. Okay. Anyway, uh, and, um, that's awful. That that and I think that that's like a you know like I interview a lot of artists and that is not an experience that a lot of us in this community necessarily shared to the same degree, right? So, um, so yeah. I mean, please please go on. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just get nervous. I'm always nervous that I'm going to get kicked off of YouTube <laughs> and all these things. So there's like the producer brain kicked in there. I apologize for interrupting. Sorry, you were saying. <laughs> I don't remember what I was saying. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, that 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 people were 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 basically like basically that the department is co corrupt and there's yeah. It, it, yeah. So so what I'm thinking now instead of trying to do the whole installation is actually going back to the jail bed drop and putting a jail bed for every year him and his co-defendant has been inside in um, maybe the front of the district attorney's office and also in some other site sites that are. Um, relevant to the case and mm. make each gel bed an altar space for the life that you have taken. 
And I think there's something so subtle, one about this, you know, calling people together to grieve, but it also being a, a disruptive at the same time, forcing people to, to uh, witness the life that they have played a role in just taking away from people. Yeah. Uh, and no, that's, that's unimaginable from my perspective. I can't, I can't possibly process what, what that experience is like. Um, it, it, it's what, what would you like more people to understand about your, your, th this particular case? Like what, what, um, uh, so, so how many people have just decided to not like, when you say they disappeared, I'm assuming that they're not like, uh, dead they're just afraid and hiding from you and inaccessible to you or or, or have has anyone shown up like um i don't think i don't i have no idea i just know i the people you would hire them and then they you never hear okay. from them again. um or you could like find them or anything so i don't know if they paid them to move and leave the city or just scare the crap out of them yeah yeah i mean i mean a lot of times it's scaring people because i know even lawyers that we try and hire now um they're all down. And then, you know, after they've talked to a few people, they get so scared. They want to answer the phone again. Oh, wow. Um, so that is, uh, that, no, that's awful. That's what that's, I'm dealing with. Yeah, no, I can't. I mean, I, I can't imagine. I'm not a huge fan of police to begin with, <laughs> but I can't imagine, uh, having, having that situation where, they you know where there's like a protection racket going on between them right like they don't you, you like they don't want these things to be discussed or reviewed it's crazy how much um how much corruption is in these departments that we really never never get to experience like on a first-hand level because it's not going to get pressed unless it's like a huge um like you know the closest thing unfortunately i'm only thinking of things like um making a murderer and all those kinds of like documentaries that are a little bit sketch to begin with but like you don't see a lot of press for like like the worst press i've ever seen a police department get was the uvaldi right like i've never seen like the media doesn't tend to go after police officers and and this kind of uh uh trickery and what and just straight up corruption because it's 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 scary for them too right so it's pretty intense that uh that you're putting yourself out there um what do you what what do you think the performance and the art element of it uh do to bring awareness do 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 are, is there like a broader is this the best the best option you have right now to sort of get people, people's eyes and, and attention on this, this sort of situation. So there's the element of one trying to get a media attention around it. Yeah. Um, but I don't think um, in that city awareness is the issue. Um, that's why I was saying having people come to the installation or watch a film doesn't even feel like it would be the most impactful. That's why I was moving to the Joba drop for big disruption uh, where in a, a city that small, the media would have to cover something like that. That's not yeah. something that happens in a small town in Georgia. Someone putting 20 plus jail beds in the middle of the street. Yeah. 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 Um, so the goal is really media attention to get someone outside of that city 
on the case. Um, there's also, I, you know, I've also talked to so many people and um, there's other people who have been railroaded by the same district attorney. So it's not just my family. This mm. is, there's so many other people. Um, so eventually my goal is also to involve them um, okay. because I think there is a stronger story if there's multiple people and families coming forward saying that this city uh, is extremely corrupt. Is the, the I mean, I'm almost at a loss because I'm it's this is so outside of my reality that uh, and, and my heart definitely goes out to you and your uncle. And I mean, to to have somebody since you were one years old, you, to have your uncle just be missing from your life. I mean, that is a pretty big void. And then you hear all these horrible, horrifying stories. Right. Like you probably growing up with this information. Right. And as you, you know, become, my grandma wouldn't even allow certain conversations on the phone. I remember when I was little and it used to make sense. She would unplug all the phones in the house to have certain conversations. Wow. So you, she always you, felt like people were listening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I, a trauma response. It's part of it, I mean, it could have been partially true uh, based off of the case. I would imagine it, that it, it is felt pretty like true. It was, it was traumatic at the same time to to feel like she had to unplug everything in the house to have certain conversations outside of even my uncle's case just like this 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 thought that someone is always listening mm -hmm. yeah no and but i i wouldn't doubt there. it yeah uh especially in the world that we live in today um can i ask you a question that comes from a layman's uh, uh perspective so you said you started doing the the jail bed drops in um in 2017 and obviously there was a big impactful protest movement that sprang up in uh in 2020 uh is the, has the reception to the work changed at all in that time frame uh is it I, do do you do you feel like people are more on board for it since uh, or maybe more aware like ha has there been an awareness change in terms of like uh any any sense of like um you know, the straw that broke the camel's back being the George Floyd protests where now people are much more receptive to the to the uh, to the work. Or is that just me hopefully being hopeful? And because I know that there was there was a big movement for it. But then I realized in the middle of that protest movement that a lot of people were just concerned about what happens within the confines of America. Right. Yeah. Like like a lot of people were like Black Lives Matter here, but not necessarily internationally and we're okay with maybe some of the more imperialist neocolonialist uh things that were taking place uh mm -hmm. what was your experience of that of that uh movement coming up especially because you're so embedded within this kind of um resistance to sort of a police state right uh yeah. is that a fair a fair way to characterize yeah um i think people have been more interested in the work like people there there's you know groups of people who I guess have been more curious about the work um there hasn't been a lot more there hasn't been really more support for the work mm. in terms of resource wise like yeah. most of the time I was doing this you know I I either you know don't have enough resources to actually you know make the thing happen um but in terms of people like coming there's definitely I guess more people interested um in the work in the work 
Mm -hmm. um, did you want? Did you have a specific topic that you wanted to pin down? I can just keep asking you questions from my ignorant standpoint. But if you if you have something specific, because honestly, this is entirely out of my reality. You know, like I I grew up in Florida, but I'm Cuban, so. When I ran across a Cuban cop, they were like, oh, a good Cuban boy. So I, I, I don't necessarily have like the the dialogue or the experience level to ask you really informed questions. So I want to apologize to you for that. But I also am very much curious. Yeah, so you you are from Georgia. Can I ask you a little bit about uh about the the cop city? Because what I what I'm seeing now is despite all the stuff that happened protest-wise in terms of 2020 and all of that is maybe we're only getting it's only the the policing is only getting more draconian and more uh terrifying and, and uh is is that a fair assessment do you think things are getting better or do you think things are getting worse because the the cop city situation is 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 pretty interesting to me and you also mentioned when we spoke at the event that you had a partner that was being charged with rico uh no my uncle has a, a rico charge your uncle has a rico charge is that a yeah. new thing or is that no, this is so a, this been, been attached to his, his case so it's so Rico has always been used in these kind of situations. So the 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 Rico charges in Cop City is not a new thing. Uh the concept of like the the Rico racketeering charge isn't new, but they have been handing out Rico charges regarding any sort of organizing around Cop City like candy. Um, it's ab absolutely absurd. Um, can, if people can, are liars, they're like, you get a racketeering charge and it's like what um uh, can you explain what cop city is for people that aren't uh as well versed in in the the dark side of news um i can try to explain it the best i can i don't know a whole lot about it i know that is essentially um like a big area uh I guess it's just like almost like a game, a playground area for the police to train slash practice. So almost their own little city to do raids and all sorts of things. It's like um, an urban warfare training play, yeah. uh, playground, right? And then yeah. uh, one of the things that I also know, which I want to be careful how I say this, but uh, typically, in you know, like people are always talking about how cops are trained by the IDF in the U.S. Like that is one of the prime places where the uh, yeah. the IDF uh, does training. I also, my, my uh, political leanings tend to be more towards my outrage towards Latin American uh, situations, you know, coups and whatnot over there, which I think has an overlap. But uh, but also, it, you know, in Honduras, they, they try for a while, especially during the Obama era, they were trying to turn it in a little bit into an open air prison where people couldn't leave. I think that that has changed. But IDF soldiers are always training police forces because of their unique experience in these uh, situations, right? And um, it's pretty crazy to just have a, a a space like that where people are just trained on how to like. It seems like it seems like a lot of this stuff is going to be directed at civilians. Is that is that is that the general consensus on uh, on 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 the the uh, on what the intention is and it, like because first of all one of the things that was crazy to me is that when um when people try to do a bail fund mm -hmm. they started arresting the people that were doing yeah. the bail fund, i think they right? got rico charges too yeah 
So it's one of the craziest things to go from like three years ago, we were all in the streets protesting. And then this is kind of a silent thing that doesn't really get addressed. Um, yeah. Can you give me one second? I need to uh, put my computer on the charger. Oh, no worries. Yeah. That ha always happens. <laughs> okay. I'm back. Sorry. What was I asking you? I forgot. You were just saying that uh, it was a drastic difference between the 2020 protests and Cop City happening and they're trying to brush, you know, everything off to the side. Yeah. Well, what's what's your take on that? On on sort of uh, first of all, I'm just curious what the what your take on the sentiments of um, like, did you get a lot of white friends calling you up and being like, hey, I'm so sorry for what's happening it during the 2020 oh. No, I don't have no white friends that would do that. Because <laughs> <laughs> in the art scene, I, I saw a few of my my uh, peers that are uh, that that uh, complaining about that on their stories, which I thought was like hilarious. But uh, but yeah. So then, what what do you have a take on that? I mean, because you, it sounds like you've been embedded in this kind of um, resistance movement. If is it fair to call it a resistance movement uh, or? How would you how would you identify what you do so that I don't keep putting labels on it? I mean, it's abolition work. There's abolition part, work. There's a part of it that's a dismantling element. There's another part of it that's the building element. Um, I think I think what I will say is is that there's something one of my mentors said to me. He said we don't need any more um, reactionary revolutionaries something like that he said and it's always mm -hmm. stuck with me always checking myself in these big moments not to be reactionary and also try and make work that is not necessarily reactionary I think sometimes it's necessary um to kind of you know to be in conversation with you know what is happening with the world but um I'm definitely not yeah I'm not I'm you know I'm not, I try not to be too reactionary to what is happening in the sense of. So you, you have a way to explain, to explain it. When we you, were you, in the, the protest moment, um, I wasn't super reactionary to what is happening. Cause I've been doing this work. Um, I'm listening, I'm present, but nothing drastic for me um nothing really changed for you during that period shifted no. yeah and you didn't feel did because did, i didn't feel it but did you feel like like change was coming did it feel like like validating in a certain sense did it feel dis disillusioning uh, like what what was the what were the emotions that were involved with that for you if you don't mind me asking because for me it's 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 interesting to be involved in something right and then maybe feel like or I feel this is how I feel to sort of believe in things and then have it kind of feel like something is happening, but then maybe it didn't really happen. Is that, is that how you feel about the situation? Uh, what, what did, what was there any progress made as far as you can tell during that, the, that protest movement did like, where, where did, how do you, how do you process that as, as somebody who has been engaged in it and this is your baby, you know, to, 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 to put it in like, um, like nurturing, uh, terms, right? Like this is something that you want to 
happen. Something like abolition is something that you're behind, right? Um, is it, it? What does it feel like to go through that? You just you just kind of completely just ignore it. Do you go to the protests? Do you like how how does that? Um, and I'm sorry to make that such a flashpoint. You know, I think a lot of people that was their turning point where they first started to say things like defund the police. A lot of people just maybe had some level of understanding of it, but it was just so visceral what happened that it maybe opened the door for people that couldn't understand the abolitionist movement to maybe have a better sense of it. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah. So there's a couple things. One, there was the sort of, um, there was an overwhelming feeling. There was an intense emotions because I'm opening my phone and I keep seeing uh, black people being killed videos and that was a lot um that was emotional to watch hearing some of their family members come forward and, and speak um there was another side in terms of you know how people were reacting i felt like um i was just listening and observing um people's responses it was i was curious to see uh where we're at as a collective um what people are saying, the conversations that are being had. Um, in regards to the protests, um, I did attend one, um, but I, I was very much so at a place where, you know, I didn't think protesting was actually gonna do much mm -hmm. um, in terms of changing anything, but it felt good. It almost yeah. was like, um, healing and collective grieving in a way to, to be there. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of the actual like shifting of anything on a systemic level, um, I didn't, I still, you know, to this day, don't think protesting does a whole, whole lot. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of where I was. Uh, what, what, what would you, what do you think what does have a better impact? Uh, and I don't know. You don't know. It's it's it's. You're not going to be able to give us like a a happy little movie. What's it called? Hollywood movie ending. <laughs> to, no, to I'm also not always looking for um solution. Okay. Yeah. Well, so. how how would you define abolition? What 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 do you what? Because uh, that that language I think ties into a little bit of what you know, what happened after the 13th Amendment, right? Which is that, like, they just, like, slavery was abolished, right? But not really, kind of, sort of. Um, what does abolition mean to you in, in the in the context of policing and uh, and whatnot? Yeah. So for me, it's really the, you know, abolishing anything, the, the like, the carceral state at large um, on a systemic level, but also what is, you know, what I'm really interested in is like, what does carcerality look like in relationship to ourselves, each other within our communities and cultures at large? Mm. Um, and so, yes, it's the systemic work, but it's also, you know, how are we practicing carcerality? And then also, what are we building? You know, how are we building interdependent communities? Um, you know, how, I, I mean, every aspect of our life, you know, examining how we are practicing these things and showing up differently, whether it be, 
you know, what is this concept of work? You know, what does that look like? You know, um, every single aspect school, you know, there's so many different things to um, unpack in terms of how we are being in the world in relationship to each other and in relationship to the land as at large as well. Mm-hmm. Um, even all the way into how we're, we as human beings are in relationship to other species um, on this earth. We can unpack um, those, look at those things on an abolitionist level. What, you know, do we need to dismantle and what do we need to build to be um, in alignment into caring relationships, into interdependent relationships, into accountable relationships? Um, what does that look like? From your standpoint, uh, well, from your perspective, which is obviously very different than mine, uh, and, and I, I, pro- I would, especially in this sense, I would say um, probably more insightful because I don't have any family members that are incarcerated, uh, and especially on trumped up charges. Like, what what does that ideal look like? Like, what what it's, it, the carceral state is gone, right? Just is is there um what it, what 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 is that thing that you want to build if is that if that is even a fair question I'm uh... only knowing the practice of building it okay yeah and so for me that's what it goes back to like we know we've been doing this thing for so long and we know it's not working um and for me this is where you know an artist my art my myself as an artist plays a role. I'm okay with leaning into the unknown and to experiment with something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and to leaning and in, in looking forward to the possibility of what we can create. Um, but we have to experiment in order to, to figure out what these different relationships can be. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is obviously not working, you know, yeah. there no healing takes place. Um, in the source of conditions, you know, we say we're rehabilitating people and putting them inside of a prison and everything that's happening inside of the prison is like antithetical to healing. People don't even have basic nourishment to like sustain their bodies. How can any healing take place? You're creating deficits in the body physically, mentally, emotionally, but you're rehabilitating somebody. And the list goes on and on in terms of the reasons why, you know, you're not allowed to touch people. Human touch is so essential to our, our vitality. You're, you're numbing people's senses, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Taking their relationship from their senses, you're numbing their vitality. Healing doesn't take place in conditions like that. Um, So how do we experiment with, with, with systems of accountability, um, systems of care, you know, how do we create the conditions so that um, people have what they need to thrive? Yeah. Um, and so this, I think a part of the abolition work is the experimentation. And it goes back to breaking all of these little things down. Pick an area and experiment. What does that look like in a, like a learning context? Can, can we experiment with what school looks like? Can we experiment with what what um, working looks like? Can we experiment with you know how we distribute and grow food? Can we experiment with uh, how we practice accountability in our personal lives with amongst our friends? Like how within our community, within our neighborhood? Like what are these different experiments that we're doing to try and 
and create something different. And for me, abolition is not necessarily an end goal, but it's the practice of, of doing those things. Mm -hmm. That no, that makes sense. Um, what do you? How do you feel about the concept? And I, I apologize. The concept of allyship. And and where do you think allyship is effective in 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 supporting your abolitionist uh, like ideals? Uh, and where do you think it might not help? Like, let's say, because obviously I, I do an art podcast. I don't know how diverse my audience is because I'm not there when they're consuming it. But I try to have I, I try to have on as many people from different perspectives as I can now. If someone's listening to this and they are engaged in the idea of abolitionist, but they don't necessarily have any direct, like for myself, I don't have any direct experience with incarceration and and all of these things. I've always just sort of, you know, been able to skate by despite doing like, you know, illegal things and whatnot because of the community that I lived in. I'm, I, I would even say my experience is different from Mexicans over here because I grew up in Miami and like Miami is a very... Miami city like we're not the minority like Cubans growing up we're not the minority so like I'm, I, I alluded to before like I was always more nervous of leaving Miami and going through all of Florida and through Georgia and all of that whereas like Miami was kind of my home base so like if people are listening they they care about your uncle they care about these situations like how would you like how, how do you feel like people could show up for this kind of work uh, in a way that is not performative, not um, not what's it called? Not a virtue signal, but an actual genuine uh, something that can sustain it. Like you've mentioned, you didn't say you don't have white friends. You said you don't have white friends that would that would ask you uh, uh, if you're doing okay during George Floyd. Like what what does? And I don't like the word allyship. It's my own hang up with it. I don't know how you feel about it, but it is kind of the buzzword around these kinds of. I'm not part of the 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 targeted class. I'm not part of the minority, but I support. How do you how do you feel about that and and what can be done? Yeah, so I guess for me, allyship is not really even um a part of this conversation mm -hmm. just because that already signifies that you, you you're separate from it. And I think that especially in my work I'm always interested in connecting the personal to the political. We are all playing a role in this. And so mm -hmm. I think the work starts with, um, like I said, how are you practicing carcerality on a personal and interpersonal level? Um, can you, can it, you expand on that? Sorry, I, it sounds like you're yeah. not going to. So like, you know, I, I ask people a lot, you know, um, how were you disciplined as a child and how does that impact how you practice accountability within your relationships how uh do you engage with conflict um there's mm -hmm. there's the work around do you know how to be in conflict with people but it's also about like um being intentional about your resources you know where are you circulating your money um mm -hmm. all of these sorts of little things plays a role all of our actions plays a role in terms of the community and the world we want to live in and just being intentional one about checking in how we're showing up in relationship to things and people and land, but also how we're building our lives. Um, so for me, I don't really see us being, um, I don't see anyone being separate from any of it. We're all mm. 
we're all playing a role in it, whether we choose to acknowledge that or see that or not. Um, you know, are we, are you giving all of your resources to these corporations that are utilizing um, uh, prison labor? Um, like there's just, there's so many layers of things to um, unpack. You know, all of our actions are, are, are playing a role in all of this. Mm -hmm. No, that makes perfect sense. So then the, uh, so the answer, the answer that I'm coming away with it is that there is no such thing as allyship. You're either in it, you're, you're all part participating in the system, regardless of whether you're aware of it or not. So yeah. then maybe, maybe becoming aware, bec becoming more intentional would be a way to transcend your role in it or not mm -hmm. necessarily transcend, but, uh, but engage in it. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, because it does seem like there is definitely a sense of understanding about injustice in the broader community, right? Like specifically, even with what is currently happening uh, internationally, which we will just kind of glaze over. But like, they, it does seem like there is a strong sense of people wanting to, like, understanding the that there is injustice <laughs> constantly happening, and. Uh, but my my personal experience with sort of seeing how people process that, um, I guess I guess what you were mentioning before is that it's not even that it, there is maybe not even a solution to the situation. It's more about experimentation. Uh, are there any other examples of experimentation that you have seen? Um, you know, any other organizations that that experiment with these concepts, like you were saying of like, what would it look like if we got past this uh, uh, carcerality and, and, and whatnot? Are there any uh, uh, um, places that people can go and, and learn about it? Because like, you know, like one of the things that impacts me more directly, especially in this community in, in Los Angeles, like when I go to Florida and I visit there, I like Googled it. It's crazy statistics. There's like um, 13 homeless people or unhoused people, sorry, uh, for every 100,000, right? Whereas out here in Los Angeles, it's 460 something to every 100,000 per capita, which is insanity, right? So like uh, on, on, a, on a real level, what I tried to do was like right now there's big pushes by J-Town Action Solidarity and some there's another there's there's one that I just heard about recently in Koreatown uh that another organization that does mutual aid efforts do you do you do, does mutual aid efforts give you any sense of like hope or or because I mean that is sort of what I'm <laughs> trying what I'm in, engaged in and trying to promote uh even though I'm not that engaged in it you know but I but those are things that I think are valid ways of experimenting with um with a new vision right like if there are people there present when the street sweeps are happening then there's some level of accountability because there are people there documenting the fact that people's documents are being thrown out right are there other uh, other instances like that can are there like you know like right now the thing that's big is sending e-sims to 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 gaza are, are there are there equivalents for this this type specifically related to carceral to, to people being incarcerated and the police state which is like essentially the way that i think of the like i think a lot of people just don't think of us living under a police state but i think it's pretty yeah. that we do 
and like I said, it opens it it opens up, right? It's not abolition is not just um the system element. So when I think about um people who have been experimenting, um the first person I thought about is Richie Reseda and uh the way he's building his organizations. Um everything is co-owned, everyone has um full healthcare benefits and the way he's structuring what work looks like is very different than what that would typically look like in any other um, organization um, that we've seen. And for me, that seems like an act of experimentation. Mm -hmm. Um, I think even like supporting your local farmers is, you know, also an act. It might not be necessarily experimentation. Something uh, Mia Ming has created called um, pods. There are, you know, ways that we, if we are, we have a conflict or we get in some sort of disagreement where we feel like we're having trouble handling it between, you know, the person you need to bring other people in it. You have certain people that you're in relationship with that play certain roles within, you know, it's just a different way to navigate conflict instead of saying, um, either avoiding it or turning into a large altercation or feeling like you got to um, get a third person involved that, you know, may not have the best intention for, you know, the actual conflict to be generative. You bring those people into the process. So different things like that, just experimenting with how we handle conflict and accountability in your life and within the pod too if you feel like you've done something there's another you know you have an accountability partner that you get to talk through things with so those are the first two things um that come to mind um there's also tj circles so i've seen people bring um together someone who's caused harm with their their victim and they've you know done these uh, transformative justice circles that doesn't work for every situation I don't think there's like um one way to handle harm or conflict mm-hmm. um, but I think these little different experiments uh can work and especially when we're experimenting on the smaller level first um I think that's really important um, well, what you what you just referenced what was it called true uh what did you call it so Mia no. Mingus, she has something called, uh, I think, I don't know, they're called pods. I don't know the full name of it. I know it's, it's called but some the, sort of pod. And then but, you also have TJ circles, which are transform- circles. transformative justice circles that people do all the time. That reminds uh, me a little bit of the uh, truth and reconciliation of uh, South Africa it, 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 in, in, this, in a similar sense where it's like... Uh, my understanding of it is, is that uh, what, what was done to sort of move past the apartheid was that there was an acknowledgement of the crimes that had been committed, but no, not necessarily a retaliation. And uh, I mean, this is like such a terrible paraphrase. I'm embarrassed as I'm saying it, but it sounds like there is some healing within having that dialogue with, with between a wronged party and the aggressor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does that, is that, does that, uh, does that ring true to you what I'm saying or am I completely off base? Yeah, and I think it also depends on the the two people. Sometimes, yeah, yeah, um, obviously, yeah. That doesn't always mean there's not consequences for the harm that people have caused. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends really on what 
people need and also tending to the needs of the victim as well asking that person what they need a lot in mean, our system doesn't really do that yeah. um and so that's also a part of of these tj circles um and really helping people address the root of the harm so that it's not perpetuated yeah um even you know in terms of the the person who's who caused the harm what is the root of this and how do we not continue the cycle of perpetuating harm within that person or you know the victim because sometimes that also happens you um, reminded you're reminding me something of um so i it, the um, the uh, i know a lawyer who actually just happens to also be from georgia um molly parmer and i interviewed her on the show she's the daughter of one of the radicals from the um the what's it called from the the um, the Chicago Seven, I think it was the the you know the Abby Hoffman pro, uh, uh, protest trial that happened. Um, but one of the things that she so she's a defense attorney and she's very much anti incarceration in in these really interesting ways. And one of and I asked her just out of curiosity, like, what is the worst person, quote unquote, that you have um, defended? And one of the things that she said was like, you know, sex abuse cases. And one of the things that she pointed out was that in a lot of those cases, it is a, it is a cycle of abuse that's being yeah. perpetuated continually. Yeah. So what is interesting about what I'm hearing is that uh, not de it, it sounds like you're you're against the dehumanization of even the perpetrators, even though there is accountability for them. You're not you're not. Uh, you know, you're not after retribution in the same way that I think our, our carceral system is very much about punishment and deterrence rather than rehabilitation, even though they say rehabilitation. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also looking back within the, the so it's one, uh, the individualized process, but also looking back into those communities and saying, okay, how have we created the conditions within these communities for this sort of harm? to perpetuate itself. And that's yeah. where we all play a role in, uh, in, in taking responsibilities for the kind of conditions that we're creating within our communities and the communities of others, right? Yeah. Um, because even if we're not per se in a community where there's a whole lot of harm in that sort of way, uh, we could be so extractive from those communities that we are perpetuating harm within those communities. Yeah. Um, so I think that a lot of times, um, yeah, that we, we, we can take um, responsibility for a lot of, of what's, what's happening. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really interesting. So um, is there, is there we, we've been talking for like an hour and I don't want to take too much of your time. And I'm also realizing that I'm a little bit out of my depth in terms of my, the quality of my questioning. So I apologize for that. But uh, I really do find this fascinating. If I can paraphrase uh, a little bit, and then maybe you can correct me on on what my takeaways are uh, of the conversation, and then I'll definitely ask you if there's anything that you've that you haven't gotten to address, which I'm happy to ha have you do. But um, so my understanding is abolition, for from what you're describing, is not necessarily something that happens specifically in relation only to the carceral state, but it is a broad, broader ex exercise in uh, societal reframing and in uh, in analyzing what it is we do to each other as human beings that create conditions that happened before 
any law, legal system uh, comes through. Does that is that a, an adequate uh, paraphrase? Yeah. And you know, it's just about relationship. Like I said, even to ourselves, even to the land, we can have mm -hmm. a carceral and extractive and abusive relationship with our own selves, with our relationship to Earth, to other species, yeah, and to each other. Mm. Are you? Do you have any like communist leanings? Because it seems like uh, like you're also specifically referring to capitalism when you start saying things about extraction from communities, right? I, and I don't want to make it like a communist thing, but is is that do you have like uh, we, is that at all of interest to you? Because it seems like some of these ideas are the antithesis of how the ca capitalist system works, right? Definitely not, you know, interested in capitalism, but I I, I wouldn't define. Like I said, we're in this element of experimentation, so I don't feel the need to kind of label it a specific thing. Put yeah, it in. yeah, especially because communism comes with its own baggage. But ultimately, communism, as it has existed, I'm from a communist country, or my parents are, um, that how, how it has existed is basically what they did was they the state took over the place of the capitalists, right? So instead of... Uh, uh, capital but it does seem much more um much more concerned about your neighbor than maybe a competitive system like capitalism allows for so but, but you wouldn't just describe yourself as anti-capitalist or i would yeah okay I would. cool cool yeah. cool just trying to pin it down uh <laughs> anything that we haven't asked that i haven't asked you i really i mean I, I'm so excited to have you on and I can only apologize for the inadequacy of my knowledge base because I feel like you know a lot of things that I maybe don't know how to ask you the right questions about. So I, I, for that, I apologize in my limit in limitedness as, as a human being, but I really appreciate you taking the time to, to sort of school me on abolition because that's literally one of the things that I am interested in, but you know, aside from like, it's nice to meet somebody and speak to somebody that does practice. Is there anything that you would like to say while you're here that, that I haven't been able to ask you about correctly or, or, or ponder on, um, that you think might be informative because I mean, people do listen to this and I, and, and I want them to be able to understand sort of your perspective. Cause I think it's really interesting one, right? Um, well, first, just thank you for having me on the show. You know, oh, it's been a pleasure. Apologize. Um, I do want to mention that I've been um, working on this um, abolitionist world building game for the past couple of years, and I'm hoping to release it this year. Okay. So uh, people should follow along so that they can, you know, be a part of some of these game sessions or get a hold of the game um, when it comes out. Is it a um, board game or is it a video game? It's How a card card game okay so um, i'm looking forward to people playing and it's just another tool to help us uh practice abolition in a, in, in a fun way in a way uh for us to play and experiment again with what things could could be yeah yeah cool well uh, what, what's do you have a name for it yet oh my gosh that's the only problem is that i haven't <laughs> i haven't landed on a name it's really it it's annoying it's but very hard Name is coming soon. Oh, no worries, no worries. So you have a card game coming out. Can we promote your your uh? Do, do you have any upcoming events? Do, uh, we can promote uh, you. Yeah, March sixteenth. Uh, my partner is uh, my partner and helping him uh organize this event called Return to Cinder. Mm. Uh, 
at the Prism Way in downtown LA. Um, so I'll be releasing flyers for that in the next couple of weeks. Okay. And so then I'll reshare them gladly. Um, yeah. And, and then uh, where, where can people find you on Instagram, your website and things like that? So Instagram, I'm BJ underscore Mims, which is M-I-M-S. Um, and my website is the same, www.bjmims.com. Okay. It's not that updated, but it has a ton of information on it. Um, Instagram is, you can stay pretty updated there, though. All right, cool. Uh, anything else on the way out? I don't shout think outs? So. No shout outs to your partner? <laughs> What's your partner's <laughs> name? His name is, his name is Kenneth Webb. Kenneth Webb. All right. Shout out to Kenneth Webb. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and yeah, I'm excited to see to, to, to come check out some of the, the, the stuff that you've got going on. I really enjoyed the, the, the talk at, uh, at, um, Long Beach Museum of Art. Uh, it was really interesting to see, to, I mean, you know, props to, Paul Loya, like he he did his interview, uh, he did his episode, and he talked about how most of his focus is on educational stuff, and that programming was very very uh, well well structured for for people that don't necessarily have direct experience with these kinds of things, but are interested in it. So I really appreciate you uh, taking the time, and um, yeah, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week with another guest and another topic that may or may not be art related. I feel like today was a very interesting, important one that I definitely want to learn more about. So thank you for t uh, coming on and teaching me a little bit about it. Uh, we'll see you guys next week.